Hi, my name is Autumn and I'm a dog trainer and a canine and feline nutrition counselor and the owner of a balanced canine. Hi, and I'm Jessica, owner and trainer of Honey Dog Training. Welcome to our podcast, Candid Conversations. Hi guys, welcome back. Um, today we decided to do a Q&A episode and Jessica did a great job of collecting lots of questions for us. Um, one question that we did get was from Rachel and that was how did Jessica and I connect and decide to do a podcast together? I am in Virginia and I also service Delaware, but Jessica is in California. So social media connected us. It really can be a great tool for great tool for that i have met and gotten and you know engaged with so many people just because we connected over social media so it has its pitfalls but um it is great for that jessica and i were actually commenting on a trainer in my area she was doing a live and we were both commenting on it and i just kind of started following her from there and we started chatting on um instagram quite a bit and i really enjoyed talking with her and i've always wanted to have a podcast so that's yeah it. yeah it was interesting because after that we had just like i mean i feel like this is with so many people but um definitely felt connected with you and 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 kind of the things that aligned with you and that aligned with me so that was um cool just straight into the dms <laughs> definitely yeah and i feel like you have a very like um positive energy too and i was really attracted to that i am not so much of a positive person all the time but i want to be so i won't <laughs> worry about you <laughs> so the next question was what does healthy affection look like with your dog from kelly and i'm gonna i'm um, kind of answer my view on this a bit and then Jessica will tell us her thoughts but I'm going to say infrequent start and then kind of explain what I mean by that so we should not be constantly touching our dogs petting our dogs we can use that as a motivating factor and also as a reward but what we do when we are constantly kind of fawning all over our dogs and stuff is we start to build separation anxiety for one and you can actually quite literally get your dog addicted to that amount of affection too so it causes almost a type of codependency um, and your dog becomes almost like they're not able to function without that constant contact. When you are trying to work on behaviors with your dog, it is really important to have like a clear communication system. And I use affection to let them know when they're doing something that I like, like they're being calm or they're on place, or I want to let them know that they're doing good on a walk or something like that. I reward that then with affection. I also use food too, but I'm just giving you examples of when I would use affection. What I'm not going to do is my dog jumps up on me or is whining at me and I'm like, oh no, don't do that. But I'm like petting them as I push them off of me. That is unhealthy affection in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think there's no shortage of giving affection with dog owners. There's never any shortage of giving affection. And so um, a lot of times we just, like you said, we kind of build a beast of like, they just want more and more and more of it. And guess what? When we're not there to provide it, that's where a lot of that separation anxiety can come from. Oh, you've been making me feel this certain way for so long and now you're gone. This kind of sucks. Yep. 
So yeah, I too like to use affection as a reward. The way I think of it is affection doesn't even have to be, it doesn't even have to be physical praise. It can actually be like verbal praise at times. Like sometimes even your voice is just like, wow, what a good girl or what a good boy. Like you're doing a great job. Like that is enough for a dog. Um, I found that sometimes when owners lean in and give their dog a ton of affection, what does that affection look like? Are they giving these like crazy wild pets um, where you're just riling the dog up when the dog already has separation anxiety? Um, or are you actually giving them affection that calms them and means something to them? And, uh, you know, is, is encouraging behaviors that you like. So, so yeah, that's kind of what I think about it too. Affection does not have to mean just physical praise. It can also mean, cause dogs live in the moment. So whatever it is that they want in the moment can be affection for them. If they are wanting to go pull you to go sniff something, if they're wanting to pull you to get to another dog, maybe they want to get to that dog to go and see them. Maybe they want to pull you to get to a human to go see them. While I'm not agreeing with this behavior, that could be your dog's affection in the moment. Yeah, absolutely. I think you did a great job of um, explaining that. And the verbal praise too. So dogs definitely respond to that. Dogs pay way more attention to your tone of voice than necessarily the words that you're saying. So when I'm trying to explain to owners to change their tone when they're talking to their dog, it's because we tend to baby talk dogs quite a bit and it kind of amps them up and it gets them excited. So for example, if you kind of look at your dog and you in an excited tone go, oh, you're such a bad boy. He's going to wiggle and he's going to get excited because your tone sounds exciting. Um, he has no idea what specifically you're saying about not liking what he's doing. So one thing that I see with clients quite a bit is, again, if the dog like jumps up on them or whines at them, the person will kind of like pet them as they push them off or they'll be like, oh, no, don't do that. But all your dog hears is excitement. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny. It also reminds me of, um, I think my sister did this when she was younger, but she would, my mom actually taught her to say like, you're such a good mom, like when she was upset <laughs> versus saying like, you're such a bad mom. And it was, it was the energy behind the way she was saying it that like, my sister really believed that she was supposed to say you're such a good mom when she was upset with her. And then yeah, so I think I think that's kind of funny. But um. Also, too, thinking about for me when when I grew up um, in my family, we're all about doing like like scratching our backs, like, oh, tickle my back, scratch my back when I was younger. And it's definitely carried over into like my nieces. And like it's a full line now where we'll be in like this big uh, line or this big trail of just a bunch of us girls back to back doing, you know, scratch back. And so but to me that felt amazing like it was like the best feeling in the world and um and a lot of times that's the same for dogs it is a reward it feels oh, yeah. good for your dog so make sure that you're using it at the appropriate times if your dog is stressed why are we petting them exactly. does that help them mm -hmm. and another thing that um i don't know if everybody experiences this or if it's just like an adhd thing for me but if I'm stressed out or I'm kind of irritated or whatever, any other type of like stimulus in that setting stresses me out. So like, I don't want someone to touch me. <laughs> um, and that is kind of true for dogs too. One, 
you, we could get into a long debate about whether you can reinforce a mindset or not, which I a hundred percent believe that you can. Right. Um, but another thing too, is you were adding another stimulus into that, into that situation where your dog is already stressed. And in my opinion, you are also reinforcing that mindset too. I know you feel like you're soothing your dog, but you're not. Right. And then, like you said, before we move on to the next question too, it becomes, it's it's something that's valuable to the dog or it can be. Now, if it's something that you're constantly giving them in every situation, you can't use it to communicate with them and you can't really use it as a reward either because it has very little meaning to your dog other than they expect it constantly and they're not able to cope without it in some scenarios. So use it sparingly and use it in the right situations. Like if your child was acting out or doing something that you didn't want them to do, you wouldn't be kind of fawning all over them, petting them, being like, oh, please don't do that. You know, it, mm. you don't want to do that with your dog either. Mm. Yeah. And back to what you're saying about like moments where you don't want to be touched or like cuddled or given affection. Like there are some dogs who some people don't even realize that the dog does not want that kind of interaction. No. Yeah. If the dog is looking in a different direction, you know, whether it be the dog is licking their lips or um, showing some whale eye where their eyes, you can see like the whites of their eyes. So there's all these like little signs that sometimes get missed, but um, sometimes affection, and that's why affection does look the same for every dog. It doesn't yeah. always have to be physical praise because sometimes they actually don't want physical praise from you. That's actually such a good point that you brought up there too, because let's also talk about making sure that if you are trying to like reward your dog with some type of physical praise, that it's actually praise that they enjoy. So I notice this a lot with, not always, but usually the husband or the man. His idea of what physical praise looks like looks a lot different than maybe what hers does. Mm -hmm. So for example, I've had several several clients and they'll go to like praise the dog and they like smack it on the top of the head really hard. They're like, good job. Oh <laughs> and the my dog God. is like yeah. not enjoying that clearly. It's like cringing and everything. And the husband like thinks that he's like rewarding the dog. And I'm like, if we're trying to make sure that this is the outcome that you get, Let's make sure that the reward is actually something the dog wants to receive. <laughs> okay, okay. It's so funny you brought that up because my brother-in-law, I'm totally going to call him out right now, but he <laughs> totally does this and his dog just takes it. Can you actually speak to this so it's not coming from this place of like, you know, I'm a trainer, you need to, you know. So yeah. I want you to tell me like, why is this bad? Like, even if the dog is tolerating it and not showing you signs of, you know, whale eye or not, he, I mean, the only thing he's doing really is like, he kind of buries his head, but he does it anyways. Why is that bad? So while your dog might be tolerating you in that instance, there's, there is literally no guarantee that they're going to continue to tolerate it. And another thing too, why would you want to, if you're trying to praise your dog, why would you want to do something that they're not actually enjoying? <laughs> um, and, and you can tell. So if your dog is kind of standing there solemnly or moving his head, or he is trying to soften the blow on the top of his head, <laughs> lighten it a little bit. Just Yeah. <laughs> Totally. It creates a little bit of distrust with and breaks down your communication a little bit too, because if the dog is not enjoying that, they're going to want to want to prevent it from happening. You are praising me, I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's hard because it's not like he's trying to, to move away from him either. Right. 
so he's like, oh, he loves this. I'm like, all right, <laughs> he loves it. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> we'll go with that. <laughs> yeah, so I guess we can, we'll move on to the next one there. We spent quite a bit of time on this. <laughs> we could go longer with that one because that's that's a big topic. So but yeah, let's move on. Podcast episode on that. <laughs> yeah, do we as owners create reactivity in our dogs? And this was from Joyce. And I remember that Joyce um, had a lot of good questions. So there's a few sprinkled in here. Yes, yes. I added some more too. Okay. So yes, um, I would not say that in all instances, but in most. And a few different ways that you can create reactivity in your dog is um, inadvertently reinforcing inappropriate behaviors with affection, like we just talked about, or let's say your dog is barking or lunging on the end of the leash or pulling to try to get to another dog or person, and you kind of give in and move along behind the dog, you are reinforcing them. If you are using affection or excited tone to kind of talk your dog down, again, they're over threshold, they're in a really excited state. One, everything you're saying is probably going in one ear and out the other. And two, if they are paying attention, you are kind of reinforcing that behavior by just baby talking them. Another way to, and this is the primary way that I see this happen, or there's two primary ways, but the first one that I see quite often is putting your dog in situations where they're incredibly uncomfortable and then forcing them to interact. So... For example, um, I see this happen with puppies quite a bit or dogs that are shy. People are like, we want them to be more social and they start trying to have people interact with the dog when the dog is clearly uncomfortable. So ways that I see this is people will drop their dog off in like a play group or to play with another dog and your dog has its tail tucked and is running and trying to get away. Um, and it cannot escape this dog that's chasing after it. One, although that other dog might be trying to play, that's not how your dog feels in that situation. They're scared. They're uncomfortable. They're trying to get away. Another. Can I just say, can I just say to to go off of what you're saying right now? I just went to a do- uh, not a dog daycare. I just went to a dog park recently just to go observe because sometimes I like to do that and sometimes yeah. I don't. <laughs> and so I don't know how you do that? I would die. <laughs> Uh, it's it's really hard to sit there and and just take it but um i went in this time and i was again just observing and it was a puppy and of course they're new puppy owners i kind of talked to them a little bit here and there and they're bringing the puppy in puppy is so scared it does not want to be in the dog park it is fleeing it is hiding behind them the entire time and i told them i said your dog will be reactive yeah (laughs) <laughs> then I walked out. <laughs> I said, if you need help, you know where to find me. I gave him my card. But um, yeah, not a good idea. Yeah, it's funny. In my puppy classes, when we do like playtime at the end, I'm always monitoring to make sure everybody's comfortable. And if we do if we do have a dog that's more shy, we work on building up their confidence one-on-one and ending the situation if the dog is super uncomfortable. And I always tell them, I'm like, advocate for your dog when they're playing with other dogs or with people. Otherwise, you're going to be in my six-week reactivity course. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. With your, you have to tell me. We have to talk more about the puppy class another time. Mm-hmm. But um, when I was doing it for a little while, I actually didn't. I stopped doing like the puppy play at the end because yeah. I found it it wasn't helpful. Have you found that it it, it kind of works if you have you know kind of oppor- small opportunities of it? Yeah, so here's how I do it with puppy classes. One, um, my puppy classes are about 
teaching mindset stuff. So we are working you from working working on the behavioral stuff as well as also commands, but we are focusing on creating calm, neutral dogs. Some puppy classes you go in and it is just playtime. There are very, I would say, stern rules for my puppy class. Um, if your dog does happen to get away from you in the class, although they are leashed the whole time, um, every once in a while somebody drops a leash and a puppy goes running. Uh, <laughs> If your dog does happen to get away from you in the class, you are to go get them immediately and they're not allowed to do any type of greetings until the end of class. And we don't do playtime in every class either. So the entire focus is on getting them to be calm and neutral around each other. And then we also teach them an on off switch for play. Nice. Um, nice. If you're not able to do that. We don't do the play session because yeah. it's more important that your dog is calm and neutral around other puppies than excited and playing with them. Yes, yes. I kind of played around with it for a bit, and then I realized, okay, this is not not super helpful. So I think it was like the last session. I did like six sessions in six weeks, and then the very last one, I was like, all right, have at it. Like the last ten minutes. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely it's definitely something I had to play around with too when I started the classes. Um, it's like the last five minutes of class. Um, the entire rest of the class, we're working on being neutral. They're not allowed to go up to each other or anything. Um, we're working on keeping their attention on the owner and we don't do it in every class. And then also they have to offer engagement to the owners, do sit and stay, eye contact, and then release to go play. And then they also have to come back when they're called. So there's an off switch for it. And then there's one other thing I wanted to add to that too. Oh, the reason that I haven't kicked it completely from classes is I am always telling people when they come in with their puppies, um, do not go to dog parks, don't go to daycare. And everybody's like, okay, well, we don't have any friends with dogs. So how do we socialize our dog? Or we want to let the dog play with other dogs. So I do allow them to do that sometimes in the group class for the last few minutes. Right, right. Yeah, and to end on that topic, because I know we kind of went off on a tangent. Oh, yeah, yeah. Socialization is not greeting other dogs, it's not greeting other humans. Exactly. It, it is creating neutrality around the world and around the environment yep. you're living in. So, And actually, I'm going to add something else there, too. So I talked a little bit about putting your puppy or your dog. This is just puppies. We just got onto puppy class, but um, your dog in an uncomfortable situation, they are going to start to want to make that thing go away because you are not making it go away. So they start to have reactions that get a little bit more volatile because they're like, okay, well, if you're not going to make that go away and you're going to force me to stand here and deal with this thing that I don't like, I'm going to make it go away. The other thing that I see um, equally as much when it comes to reactivity cases are dogs that the owners thought that socialization meant greeting lots of new people and greeting lots of new dogs. And I totally understand why people think that that is a good thing. Um. <laughs> yeah, because they're like, well, because they're like, well, this is what I'm guessing. And yeah, this is what I'm guessing is, well, I don't want my dog to grow up being like, weary of people or weary of other dogs or like aggressive towards people or aggressive. So I, I get why people would think that that's a good way. I do too. Um, the, but the problem is with it is, so I'll get these cases now where 
the dog spends eight hours a day in daycare while the owner's at work or and then when on the weekends they go to the dog park and on walks they greet every new dog in person they see and then you have a dog that has learned that every single time it sees a new person or a new dog they are supposed to go and play with that new person or do dog so they start barking out of frustration on the end of the leash because they want to get to those things um, because you have to condition them to think that's what they're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. But you know what? And and no, I, to I totally agree with what you're saying. But you know what? It's like there's some owners who they, they don't care about having their dog on a leash ever. They don't need to have their dog on a leash ever. So doing all these off-leash activities, daycare, it's like it, it ends up working for the dog. Because in their mind, they're like, well, I'm never going to be walking my dog. You know what I mean? I yeah I haven't come across too many of them but every once in a while I do get somebody that's like we don't really do walks because we have a fenced in backyard or something like that I'm like just wait until you need to yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay um and also if your dog is kind of nervous around if you have a puppy I'm gonna say that is you're noticing is nervous around new people and other dogs it is definitely something that we want to work on because we want them to be comfortable but we want to work on it more because we want them to be able to be neutral I don't care about forcing dogs to like to play with other dogs and when I have owners that have like an older dog that really just doesn't like interacting with new people or dogs I always ask them I'm like why do you need your dog to play with other dogs would you be okay with them just being neutral around them and indifferent almost, you know? Like they don't need to love that thing as long as they're able to feel comfortable and calm around it. I think the idea of having to force dogs that don't like to have, don't like to play with other dogs or don't like interactions with new people, like trying to force them to like something that they don't, you can't do that. You can't force like another living being to like something that it doesn't, but we can make it more comfortable around it. Mm -hmm. Now with younger puppies, I would say let's try to work on it a bit and everything. Um, but there is a way to do that and you should contact a trainer to make sure that you're not pushing your dog over threshold or making them more nervous, you know. I think that's all I have to add on that one. Yeah. What are some tips for how I should act when walking a reactive dog? And this was from Michelle. First and foremost is teaching leash pressure, um, how I would approach it. One, your dog needs to understand what leash pressure means and that it means to engage with you, not to move forward. <laughs> um, and then also, I really, really do, if you have a reactive dog, work, recommend working with a trainer in person. But a couple of tips is you're leading the walks and your dog needs to understand that you're leading the walks. So for reactive dogs, I implement structured walks. And that is obviously leash training them, teaching them what the leash pressure means and that they have a job while we're on the walk and it's to stay by my side. So if you wanted to implement a heel command, you can do that. Now, while we are, we're on these walks, if I am letting them have a potty break or sniff, there is a start and stop to that and they have cues for that as well. So free time to sniff, they're still not allowed to pull on the walk, but they can sniff. And then when we're ready to go, I say, let's go. And they immediately hop back in line with me. This all takes a lot of, you know, practice and training, but that's how I handle reactive dogs. Does that, does that vary for you? Like if you allow them to sniff dependent on the dog and the severity of the reactivity? Yes and no. So I would say the amount that they're allowed to do it and when they're allowed to do it varies depending on the, the dog and how reactive they are. As far as like sniff breaks or potty breaks, they all do typically get them. Just the amount and frequency of it kind of depends depending on the dog. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I know some people don't, which is also, I can totally see why. Personally, for, for the dogs that I train, I do implement that. Um, it's just that it, the amount of freedom they're allowed and how often definitely changes depending on your dog. When you are first starting to like leash train your dog and work on reactivity, you're going to be doing this very infrequently because you want to nail down what the rules are, how to properly behave on the leash, how to engage with you before you start letting them that kind of, allowing them that kind of freedom. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, fair enough. Fair enough. Anything more you wanted to add to that? Yeah. Another thing too is reactions are typically just frustration bubbling over. Um, And one thing that will make your life a hundred times you know, easier is watching your dog's body language. So dogs always have telltale signs before they react, because again, this is frustration bubbling over. So if you notice that you know that your dog is super reactive to other dogs, or your dog is super reactive to small dogs or whatever, let's say you see a small dog up ahead, your dog is going to take note of this dog at some point, their body is probably going to get very stiff, had some that get a slight tail wag before they're about to have a reaction or Either way, the dog is fixated on that other dog. Break the fixation before the reaction happens. After the reaction has happened, they're over threshold and you just need to move them away from that um, stimulus. If you can break it before it happens, you're going to save yourself a whole lot of trouble there and you're also not allowing them to practice that behavior as well. Yeah, so I guess I want to talk about it from just our own point of view from the human standpoint. And with this with this specific owner, I mean, I can think of times where I can tell that they're feeling a certain way. I can tell mm-hmm. that they're anxious um, or nervous. And that has to do with a lot of things. Um, I won't specifically speak to what it is that she, you know, yeah. reasons why for her, but some of those reasons can be trauma. It can be trauma from past experiences of what you've experienced with your personal dog. Yeah, 100%. It can be, uh, so you're just like waiting for a reaction, waiting for something to happen. So that can really put owners on edge. I certainly know that feeling and it is not a good one. And then another one is what is going on in your day to day and, and the stress that builds day to day and the things that are going on in your life between family and friends and so forth. So I often take a step back and ask my client, how are you feeling today? How are you feeling in this moment? Because if you're not feeling good, if you're, if you're feeling frustrated, probably not a good time to be training your dog. Yes. And it is okay to feel frustrated. It's okay to have moments where you don't you, you want to give up you want to throw on the towel but you just keep moving along and and you take the breaks when you need them you take those pauses when you need them and that is 100% okay i'm not about telling owners you have to walk your dog every day for 2 hours each day you know things happen oh, yeah. life mm-hmm. life happens and they need to cope your dog needs to cope with that if you're having a shit day it's okay for your dog to have a shit day, meaning it's okay for them to do nothing, you know, all day with you if that's what you need. So yeah, I did want to touch a little bit on that as well is, are you a reactive person? Yes. Because that can definitely contribute to how you're handling the leash. The leash is like an umbilical cord. I remember uh, Sherry Lucas saying that in one of her (laughs) reels, and that really stuck with me. Like it really is one of those things where any type of pressure you provide or don't provide in the moment can can really affect them. 
I'm, not, I'm glad you brought this up too. I didn't even think about touching on that. And that is really important. Um, it's definitely something that I have to address with owners a lot too, is you're sending energy down the leash. And another thing too, is if you are super nervous or expecting your dog to, re to react, you are going to just naturally tighten up that leash maybe without even noticing. And then before your dog has even reacted, you're applying pressure on the leash and sending kind of a confusing message there. So it is something that you have to really consciously pay attention to when you're on, when you're walking your dog. And another thing that you said too, is that it is totally okay to maybe not go on that walk if you know that you're not going to be able to be there and you're not in the right mindset for it. Also, it is just better for you to not do that walk, maybe try again later if you're feeling better or tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Um, or if, if you, yeah, if you have a reactive dog and you're having a hard day, go on that walk by yourself. Yeah. <laughs> Leave, your dog at home. <laughs> Leave your dog at home. It's okay. You know, I, I have days where I've, you know, stuck jacks on the treadmill. I'm like, I'm gonna go on a walk with my aunt. I'll see you later. Uh, just because, you know, it's, Dealing with a reactive dog can be very challenging and very um, emotionally uh, just, it can really be hard. Absolutely. And then the, for those people that might be listening that don't have a reactive dog or kind of haven't experienced that either, um, it can really feel like another full-time job owning a reactive dog. A reactivity is a spectrum and there are some very volatile <laughs> volatile ones out there. I do board and trains and primarily it is working with reactive dogs. And this is my job. I'm pretty good at being able to remove the emotion from it. But when you have that dog with you 24 seven, I 100% understand what the owners are feeling. And I also own a reactive dog. Um, it does feel like another full time job sometimes. And if, you, if you're not in the right headset at mindset headset <laughs> mindset at that time to work with that dog you can actually do more harm or send that energy on down the leash um it's better to just wait until you're feeling a little bit better to pick it up it's okay to take a break for yourself it's okay to take a step back too very emotionally draining yeah exactly i'm, I'm glad you touched on that because with jacks even it, it's like i can be with clients all day long and so many of their behaviors do not affect me one bit. And I can I can play the part and I can work with the dog and work with the owner and not feel frustrated. And it it feels great. I'm I'm glad that I'm able to do that for for clients. But from my standpoint, because of my personal journey with my dog, I completely understand it it becomes almost personal. Yeah. To you. It, it it's like it almost feels like a personal attack on you. But that's where we kind of have to reel it in and just say, like, actually, my dog isn't doing this just to piss me off, you know? Yes. And, you know, I am actually glad you brought that up, too, because I wanted to say that I started talking to you quite a bit, too, was when I got my dog. Um, my <laughs> dog. And he's, he's an American Akita. Um, it is a tough breed. And he was displaying signs of, like, aggression from the time he was 10 weeks old when we brought him home. And I mean, aggression. <laughs> <laughs> um with other dogs um he's okay with people but other dogs it was a huge problem and we went through a small period where it felt like he was getting better with that and he was good with other dogs and then just as he matured and hit sexual maturity he was just absolutely 100 not okay with other dogs mm -hmm. and um 
I remember, I feel like I was talking to you and also Lane from Collis Canines, shout out there. Um, <laughs> you guys are definitely the two people that I communicate with the most on Instagram, but you were so helpful to me because I remember, I feel like I told you, I'm like, you know, mm -hmm. I can work with clients and their dogs all day and I know what advice to give them when they ask me questions and I know how to help them, but I feel like I'm too close to the situation when it comes to my own dog. It is so emotionally draining. So it was a long process and you were very helpful and supportive. So thanks for that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I definitely remember that. <laughs> I'm glad you're, you're past that now. Did you have anything else you wanted to add to that one or should we move on to the next one? Mm, no, I'm ready to move on. Okay. If my dog doesn't obey my command, like sit, how long should I wait to repeat myself? And this was another question from Joyce. So the first thing that I would tell you to do is ask yourself, does my dog fully understand what I'm asking? Could he be confused? Is he choosing to ignore this command or is he maybe over threshold? Um, and the reason I say that is because that's going to, my answer is going to change depending on what you say to that. Can I add something? So yeah. So let's kind of break this down even further. Uh, yeah. Is my dog choosing to ignore my command? Well, what if the dog does it sometimes and not other times? Does that mean that the dog understands what it is that you're asking of them? Or does that not mean that they, they does that mean that they don't understand? I think that it's, I think it's a little bit more complicated than that. I think it also has to do with the relationship that you have with your dog. So okay. if you have a, if there is a relationship there where the dog doesn't, you're not necessarily the leader in the household. And when I say that, I'm not talking about dominance roles and things like that. I'm talking about your dog does not have respect for what you're saying or knows that they can choose not to follow through with things and you will allow that. Yep. Um, in that case, you need to work on the relationship a bit. And how I approach this is there's lots of repetition. It takes, I think it's 50 plus repetitions, like just an average. Um, for a dog to start to associate a word with a movement or that a reward is what they're being rewarded for. So there's a lot of repetition that goes into a dog totally understanding what they're supposed to do. So does your dog fully understand what they need to do in this situation? If not, we need a little bit more repetition. If let's say you're asking your dog to sit and they've been sitting for you fine for two years and they're choosing to ignore you, I'm going to ask once and then I'm going to assist them on following through with that, either by spatial pressure or leash pressure. And what that can kind of look like is me just stepping into their space and kind of asking that dog does follow through with that. Another yeah. thing to do yeah. is, is tone. So again, we talked about this a little bit earlier. But when I am rewarding my dog or I want to let them know that they're doing something I like, I lighten my tone and I make it a little bit more exciting. When I'm giving my dog a command, that's how I say it. I'm not yelling or anything, but my, my tone is stern or it's firmer. I am telling you to do this. It's not a request. And I always tell clients to think of it that way because they will naturally change their tone. We do it so naturally when we're talking to each other, changing our tone and stuff, but we forget to do it with dogs. And changing your tone can help sometimes. Mm -hmm. um because again they are paying way more attention to your tone than necessarily what you're saying and then also another thing that i don't do and i see people do this a lot is they will be standing there and they're like sit 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 <laughs> until the dog does it one um if you're teaching a command that will become the repetition that you have to do every single time you ask them to do something Two, dogs are very, very good at tuning out things. That's why they're great at hunting. Um, they can tune out environmental stressors. 
if you are repeating something over and over again, it starts to lack meaning, right? Um, the dog is just starting to tune you out. I ask one time, if they do not follow through, I help them with that by either stepping into their space and waiting for them to do it, or using a little bit of leash pressure until they comply. If this dog fully understands this command, and I know that, I am not going to also reward the dog for choosing to do it after I have had to assist them in doing it. One, because the dog is then gonna go, okay, I still get the reward when I decide I feel like doing this. I ask you one time if you do it, I do reward for that. And that can be either if you're training um, a treat, you know, physical praise, it can be um, verbal praise too, but I'm going to let you know that you did what I wanted. If I have to kind of assist you with it. So if they finally comply, I'm like, good job to let them know that is what I wanted, but I'm not giving any type of like treat or physical affection for that because I had to assist you with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think accountability is really important. And I think a lot of people lack the accountability of, of telling their dog, this is something that I'm asking of you. You're not going to follow through. Let me help you. Yeah. Let me help you follow through here. Um, and so that's kind of where it can get tricky is, yeah, your dog can either not understand what it is you're asking, or they could be kind of blowing you off in a sense. And blowing you off could possibly mean you haven't taught them that that behavior is not acceptable. Right. That and also too, one thing that is going to help with this and then will also help your relationship is always following through. So um, one thing that I usually have to teach clients that I see quite a bit is if they ask the dog to do something, they'll either get distracted either by telling me about something or I don't know, the, their kid ran by or something and then they forget to actually have the dog follow through on that command. Your dog doesn't necessarily go, oh, they got distracted or whatever. Your dog just goes, eh, I didn't have to do it even though he asked me to. And he stores that information away. You start to break down your relationship a little bit there. And by break down your relationship, I mean your dog starts to learn they don't always have to, have to listen to you. <laughs> mm -hmm. They are opportunists. Yes. And then one other thing that I have to add to that, and then you can go ahead too, is I don't ask dogs to perform things when I know that they're over threshold or I know that they're not going to be able to. So for example, if I have a dog that is just like really triggered by, I'm gonna say train tracks because we live right by them here. <laughs> Let's say I have a dog that's really triggered by train tracks and they're just either scared of them or really freaked out by that noise, right? Um, they are so scared at this point or upset or stressed out that they are not listening to anything I'm saying. They're just kind of in panic mode and trying to figure out how to get away from that. I'm not going to ask them to sit then because they're not listening to me to begin with. Um, I'm not going to be able to follow through on that command. What I am going to do is build their confidence around that thing slowly and work them in lots of different scenarios and everything. And then when they are a little bit more comfortable, then I'll start asking for that kind of stuff. But you can't drop your dog into a situation where they're super overwhelmed and they're not listening to you and then be like, sit, I told you to sit. Your dog is panicking right now. It's not going to be able to follow through with that. So I don't ask them for things in those types of scenarios where they're not going to be able to follow through. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I was just in group class yesterday and there was an owner explaining to me, like her dog wasn't able to hold a sit in the moment. And mm -hmm. I said, hey, like that's okay actually. Like if your dog is struggling, why are we gonna have them go into a sit right now? What What is the purpose of putting your dog into a sit? Sometimes it's to reset them. Sometimes it can be to help them to relax. But is it actually helping your dog to relax? You know, yeah. so um, for, for that owner, it was not helping. So I said, let's 
bail on that and let's try something different. Let's try some movement. Let's do some leash work for the dog to get the dog's mind working yeah. versus they're feeling anxious. Yep. I think that's all I have to add for that one. What about you? Yeah. I'm ready okay. to move on to the next one. Okay. This one came from Brittany and I will have to double check, but I do think that she was also in your area. Um, I think she was maybe a pet sitter or something. But oh, she yeah. She, you know, she's one of my good friends. She was just at the workshop with me that I went to on Sunday, and I just hung out with her last week. Yeah, she's cool. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So she asked um, favorite recommended foods. So I really do want to do a episode where I talk about nutrition stuff more. Um, I also do canine feeling nutrition counseling. I've been doing that, honestly, I've had my dog training business for eight years and I've been doing that for longer. So I have worked for lots of different companies and everything and I'm pretty familiar with them. Um, it was my first passion was canine and feline nutrition and it's a huge part of my business too. I do nutritional consulting. So I will dedicate a whole nother like podcast to this topic at some point, but to give a short answer to this favorite recommended foods, one, um, fresh is always going to be the best. The freshest food you can get, you can offer your dog, um, most minimally processed is going to be the best, just like it is for, for us. Now, that's not always feasible, depending on, you know, budget, um, availability, things like that. But these are the foods that I recommend. So for my cats, um, I raw feed my cats. They are obligate carnivores. Anything other than actual meat is actually harmful for their health over time. So they are raw fed and I feed them. Steve's Real Food has a brand called Quest and that is what they eat right now. I would also be comfortable feeding them Viva Raw too. They just came out with a cat line. Now my dog, I would raw feed my dog too, but he has IBS. So he is not able to eat raw food. IBS basically just means that his body has a really hard time breaking things down and um, we want to make the digestion process as easy on him as possible. So he gets a gently cooked formula. And if I do need to use like a dry food for a pet sitter or training sessions or something, I use Carna4. So as far as my favorite raw food brands go, I'm going to say Steve's Real Food. Viva Raw Pets, Darwin's, and Viva Raw and Darwin's are both subscriptions you can do online and, you know, they mail it right to your door. And then Carnivore is a dry food, but it's not an extruded kibble. So it's whole foods that are baked together. Um, so it is kind of, it resembles a kibble, but it's not, it hasn't gone through all the processing that kibble has gone through. Mm-hmm. And so uh, with your, with your general recommendations, does it, is that... Would that work for every dog or is it kind of dependent on like their their gut and that kind of thing? Nutrition is gonna be really different for every for every dog. General general advice is for you know, as fresh as possible is best, minimally processed. But as far as like actual food brands go, your dogs what they do best on is gonna vary dog to dog, you know. For example, Steve's real food is fortified in raw goat's milk. So dogs that have allergies or tend to run a little hot and are itchy or maybe have some skin issues might actually not do very well on that food um, because of the fermentation process, but they might do really well on Viva. So it's really going to depend on your pet, but my general recommendations as far as brand go, brands go raw, Steve's Real Food, Viva Raw, and Darwin's. As far as dry food goes, Carnivore and 
With carnivore, I do like to add like a meat topper with that one as well. Evermore Pet Food is the gently cooked one that I like. Love that pet food company. Okay. And I have no commentary on any of that stuff because that is not my wheelhouse. (laughs) And I'm always happy to recommend you and learn from you with that because, yeah, that's not my jam. So you won't be hearing from me on that one. (laughs) Yeah. And I don't want to take up too much time going over that. So, again, those are just general recommendations. Nutrition is going to be very specific to, you know, each dog and people's budget and everything. We'll do another podcast on that another time. (laughs) Okay. Next question. Okay, I really liked this one. This was another good one from Joyce. (laughs) Shout out to her. She has great questions. Yeah, she did. She had a lot of great ones. Um, (laughs) I was told by a previous trainer not to play tug with my dog because if I lose, I'll be seen as less than. Is it true? This is from Joyce again. Um, I was really excited about this one because this is something that I work with on work with owners on frequently and it's also something that I had to establish with my dog too (laughs) so I disagree with that although I see where they were coming from when they said that I disagree with it and the reason why is for certain breeds tug of war can actually be a really like breed specific great enrichment game it's very rewarding and those breeds would be like um, bulldogs apbt boxers staffy frenchies malinois akitas that tug and pull is something that they were designed for and they love it and we can um implement it in a structured way so that it's not degrading your relationship (laughs) It it doesn't have to be, oh, I let my dog wing tug of war. They're not going to respect me anymore. They're going to think they're stronger than me. This is how I do this. Structured play. So there is a clear on and off switch for your dog. Meaning we are playing this game. I am releasing you to play this game with me. When I tell you to drop this toy, you drop it immediately. So there are a few things that you have to do first. One, you are building up engagement and a little bit of impulse control. They're waiting for your cue that it's okay to engage in this game. Two, there is a clear drop it cue. So when I tell you to stop, that's it. Um, Even if it's in your mouth and I tell my dog drop it, he's going to drop it. And that's that. Two, I do not always win tug of war because... It is incredibly frustrating to lose something over and over again. (laughs) So I do allow my dog to grab the tug toy from me occasionally when we're playing. Sometimes I win, sometimes he wins. But he, I'm able to do this with him because he understands that when I say drop it, the game is over. He's not allowed to do this with me in any other situation if I'm picking a toy up off the floor to clean up or I am grabbing something in his space. He's not grabbing that object from me and playing tug of war. There is a clear start and a clear end to the game. Did you have anything to add to that one? Yeah, I really like playing tug. I think it is a great outlet for dogs. I think you can actually incorporate it into reactivity as well, mm-hmm. um, which is is really cool. You know, kind of switching one frustration onto not necessarily another frustration, but something yeah, that you outlet. Yeah, it's an outlet for your dog. It's it's a way to release that that tension that frustration so um you can use it in that way too um but yeah i definitely think it offers a lot for your dog in terms of when things are allowed when they're not allowed when to drop things when not when to take a hold of it how to engage with them so i think yeah it can be a great a great tool yeah and then i'll add a little bit more context here too so if i was working with a dog that was had um 
some pretty severe resource guarding, for example, or something like that. And we don't have, we haven't established like a clear drop it or on off switch for the dog. Um, I'm probably not going to just jump in and try to engage in a game of tug war with the dog. There is some back work to to doing that first, you know. But one thing that I think that we're severely lacking now is we kind of created these dogs, the perfect dog for each job, and then they don't really have these jobs anymore, you know. So hurting dogs, hurting, for example. Um, but we should be providing them with some type of outlet for this stuff. And I think that that's something that we're sorely lacking with now. There are enrichment activities that you can do with them to give them an outlet for those behaviors. And there are breeds where Tug is an excellent outlet for that. Awesome. Okay, so the last question is, how do you calm an anxious dog? So for me, it really just depends on the dog, but a lot of times what I see the most is when the dog is feeling anxious around other dogs, around the environment, around people, we tend to give affection in those moments and pet the dog and love on the dog and say, it's okay, it's all right, it's going to be okay. And, and what you're saying to them is basically continue feeling like that, continue feeling anxious. Um, it, it doesn't really help the situation. So sometimes what I might do to calm an anxious dog, I might use movement to help them. Again, kind of going back to the group class, like having that dog sit there and just watch things go by is not going to be helpful to their state of mind. Right. It's going to cause them to fixate and then later react. It can do that. And so I'm going to offer movement to the dog. Uh, and then other times, yeah, helping the dog go into a sit can reset them. It can help to relax them. So um, asking almost nothing of them at times. Um, after we've been fair to them, what does that mean to be fair, unfair? What I mean by that is have we exercised the dog? Have we fulfilled the dog? You know, and then I might ask, hey, let's work on doing nothing here. And and once you can calm your body more, then we can move forward or then we can do this. Do you have any thoughts to add on that? I think that was great. You just about covered it there. I, I also agree with that. And I had one, one Borean trainer is a super anxious dog. Dog was also reactive, but anxiety was pretty bad. Um, and one thing that always really worked for him if he was feeling a little uncomfortable is when I, ta I, I taught him how to give me cues when he was uncomfortable for one um, and I would create space for him then. But another thing that he also really enjoyed was actual like movement. And I remember one time we were passing this kind of like busy road, there's lots of cars going by and that was a, he was a herding breed and that was like a huge trigger for him. And there was a kind of like raised, um, I'm trying to figure out how to describe this on a podcast. So we're on a sidewalk and next to us is kind of a, like a short raised wall. It's probably only about like a foot and a half tall. And we're just, we stopped and we were doing up off of that on and off. Um, and he loved working. So this calmed him down right away. I was able to actually work him through that and just like little things like that to distract them from that thing that they're super nervous about too. So movement like you were talking about. Yeah. And then that, it, it can start off as a distraction, right? But then it can mm -hmm. end up being just a fun outlet for the dog. And then they associate that fun outlet with whatever it was essentially that was provoking them or, or causing exactly. the reaction. 
Yeah, yeah. And another thing too is you've accomplished something there. So he wasn't completely over threshold. He was a little bit nervous, but we worked him through it in that situation too. So definitely movement. Yep. Awesome. Okay. So that's where we will end for today. Thank you guys so much for listening. We hope that this podcast resonates with you and just provides some value for you. Um, We definitely sympathize with all of you owners. We've been there um, just as owners ourselves and um, now as trainers. So we are happy to support you.